number of uh, reliable resources about this parable. They don't all agree, <laughs> okay? Now, that brings me to a truth that I want you to be comfortable admitting before we look at our passage of Scripture this morning. Now, I say this as we are teaching pastors in our pastor training school. I say this a lot there, and I have said it to you on more than one occasion. And it's a very simple truth, and we must be okay with this, okay? And the very simple truth is this. Don't ever forget this. God has told us in His Word everything we have to know, but He has not told us everything there is to know. And there are places and this I think is one of them where we come to a portion of the Lord's Word and we're left with questions now there is a way to respond to that but I don't think we're ever going to get a, a hard and fast answer to what we're going to look at this morning and it's very troubling a passage that we're going to see and so I want to use it this morning to encourage you to good works the Bible says that we are saved and appointed to what good works okay that we may walk in them right you don't know that just trust me I'm, I'm telling you the truth <laughs> that's what the word says we are appointed to good works so that we may walk in them meaning that they are the pattern of our life okay so with that said and in interest of getting y'all out of here sometime before two o'clock uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 25 now the opening of the chapter was the parable of the virgins. Now this is part and parcel of the previous chapter, which is why we went through Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus was answering the questions that his disciples asked him about what would be the signs of his return, of his coming again. And so there is uh, it's a little bit unfortunate, as we've discovered numerous other times, that there's a chapter break in our Bible. We see chapter 24, and then we see this break, and it says chapter 25. But just play like chapter 25 is not written there, because the discussion is continuing. It's part and parcel of the same thing at the same place at the same time. Okay, And so <clears throat> what we read after the parable of the virgins is that parable of the talents. Now the virgins showed us, and we looked at this early in the spring, the parable of the virgins showed us the necessity, the inward necessity represented by the oil in the lamp, the inward necessity of the Holy Spirit, that without the Holy Spirit we will not enter in, right? But because human nature is what it is, the Lord will tell us one truth and then, you know, rather than us uh, you know, focus all our time and energy on that to the exclusion of something else, he then, right on the heels of this, without interruption, gives another parable. And it is instructive that he does that. Now, there was a great problem in Paul's day. He wrote New Testament epistles to believers who thought that since Christ is coming again, and it's imminent and it's very soon, that we don't have to do anything in the world. We just have to wait and, you know, sit on our, our padded pew till Jesus gets here. Now that was going on in Paul's day and he addressed it rather sternly, okay? Be busy, be faithful, be working. And so that's the subject of this parable. It is the outward manifestation of faith. And I want you to see that as we read it. Because, you see, Paul wrote in the New Testament that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest any man would boast. And you may not know this, but just trust me about it. It was a long time. One of the most contested books in your New Testament was the book of James. For the longest time, people did not want to put the book of James in New Testament because they thought that it conflicted with what Paul said about being saved by grace. James said, you say you have faith, then what? Show me your works. 
Because if you have real faith, real faith is going to produce works. And, but that contention went on for a long time until they finally included the book of James in the New Testament. Now, it should be there. It's inspired just like the rest of it. But there was a lot of controversy about that. And so what you're seeing here in the parables of Jesus is the, the inward manifestation of the Spirit followed in this parable by the outward manifestation of that Spirit working for the kingdom. Okay? So here's how the parable goes. Verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained one more. Excuse me, gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you have to break this down you have to remember that a parable is what we have been looking at all spring long. It is earthly objects with a heavenly or spiritual meaning, okay? Things that we can grasp and understand, right? So what is this idea of a talent? Well, it's, uh, it's a little bit ambiguous and we don't, you know, it can be a weight, it can be a measure of money, but in its fullest form, and if it's money, which we're given here as bags of gold, it would be equal to a life's wages for an average person. In other words, a lot of money, okay? A lot. <laughs> and whenever the master went away, as you see in the opening of the parable, this is emblematic of the fact that the Lord established his church. He was speaking to his own. And then Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven out of their sight. The master went away on a long journey. So what are the servants to do in the meantime? They're to work. Why? Work in order to make a name for themselves. Work in order to have status. They're to work for the master, for the master's purposes. Now, understand what the Lord did and what you see in the parable. The Lord called his servants, and I'm going to build all the troubling passage of this, parts of this passage for you. He called his servants. That word is slaves. He called his slaves, doulos, the one that means the same thing that Paul said, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am one who chooses to be his. I've given myself in service to the Lord. 
it's the same word. And are they dealing with their own resources or are they dealing with the Lord's resources? They're dealing with the master's resources, aren't they? Because we don't have anything worth dealing with, do we? In and of my own strength, can I do anything for the kingdom? At least nod your head like this or say no. <laughs> he is the vine, we are the branches, and apart from him we can do what? Nothing! In and of myself, I cannot do anything. So in order for me to be profitable for the kingdom, I have to receive what the Lord Himself has to give me of Himself, from Himself, it owned by Him, entrusted to me. Now, in light of the fact that we're dealing with talents, it means it ought to be taken to understand all of life. That's the greatness and the value of what was given. It was a life's work, a life's amount of time. And to one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. But look here what he, what he did. Verse 15, each according to his ability. Now, what did the Lord give them? Let, let's think. If this isn't gold, because, you know, all that's going to evaporate. If this represents the treasure of the kingdom that we've been given, it's been trusted to us, what is it? It's salvation. It's our faith. It's our, okay, I won't ask that question yet. It's, it's my faith. It's salvation. It's the word of God. Have I been entrusted with the word of God? Do I have something that... You know, even many New Testament saints didn't have at the time that they lived. The answer is, yes, I do. Do I have spiritual gifts? Yes, I do. Where'd they come from? They came from Him. They came from His hand. It was given to me by grace. I am a person who is saved by grace. I don't deserve it. I have received the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, He deposits within me His gifts. But there's also something else here that we have to get a little bit comfortable with. He says he gave the gifts, but he also matches it and says each according to his ability. Oops, my ability doesn't sound like a spiritual gift, does it? And in the strictest sense, it's not. A spiritual gift is that which the Holy Spirit gives to believers at the moment of salvation. Now, does God give me my native abilities? Yes, he does. Am I fearfully and wonderfully made? Did God knit me together in my mother's womb? Yes. Does God know my frame? Does he know what I can do? So it is possible for a person to have great ability, but if unsaved, no talents, no gifts from the Lord. It's also possible, as we see in this parable, for a person to have a gift from the Lord and some measure of talent, or excuse me, ability, try not to confuse those words, and not do anything with it. That's also a possibility. So he gave five bags of gold to one. What does that tell you about that person's ability? He had a lot of ability, didn't he? Well. Are there a lot of people walking around, you know, serving the, the Lord and His kingdom that have gobs and gobs of ability? There are a bunch of those, aren't there? Is that most of us? Probably not. One commentator I read got it down to the, to the third guy, the one that got one talent, one bag of gold, and he said, that's probably the most of us. <laughs> he said, truth be told. He said, that's probably, you know, that, that classifies the majority of us right there. And now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but the distinction I want you to see is that God gives his spiritual gifts. He gives us his word. He gives us our faith, which when tested is as precious as pure gold refined in the fire. It's more precious than that, the word says. And so when we have that, we have our gifts, what are we supposed to do with all of that? According to our ability, we take those things and we expand them for the kingdom's sake. Worried about y'all. How do I do that? Am I exercising that gift? Am I applying that gift? In fact, what am I supposed to do with the gifts that have been given to me? I'm supposed to build up the body of Christ with them. 
Paul writes, we're going to read these passages in a minute, he writes to the Corinthian church that these gifts are given for the building up of the body, not for the building up of me. And see, doing the line of work that, that I've done, I'll just leave it at that. I've seen a lot of folks over the years, some of them stand up here, <laughs> I hate to say that, but you know, it seemed that their, their spiritual gifts, or at least they, they thought their spiritual gift was all about them and making themselves look good. That doesn't build the body, does it? And you see, if I am supposed to serve you, if I am supposed to love you, if I am supposed to care for you, if I am supposed to deem you as more important than myself, which there's not a lot of people that want to go around doing that because it doesn't make a big name for me, does it? Ooh. If I'm supposed to do all that, and I am, then that is trafficking in the things that are building up the kingdom of God, building one another. But it's also about reaching the people who are out there. And you see, the problem is, you know, whether it's uh, giving out something really simple. By the way, there's still several of these out in the lobby. Hope y'all caught that. Simple task. Or whether it's teaching a child, forgiving a neighbor, ministering to somebody that nobody's ever going to see. God sees. I've told you before, there are a number of God's servants in the, in the scriptures who labored. And if we didn't have a scriptural record of their labor, we would never know what they did because nobody responded, but they were faithful. And you see, that is what the Lord prizes in the parable. They were faithful. They did what they were supposed to do. And it had an effect. The Lord didn't say, hey, you know, uh, you, you got five bags and, and, and you became a, a, a big well-known TV preacher. Good for you. Have five more. Not what he said. You were faithful to use what I gave you in the way that I built you to use it. Ability, gifts, faith, the word. And you see, why is this a problem? Why did I tell you in the beginning that this is challenging? Well, if you look back in Matthew chapter 24, where we've been for the last month at least, you will see there in the middle of that chapter a statement that in, in the time of the Lord's coming, you know, leading up to that, one of the markers is that the love of most, love of many, will grow cold. Now, it's interesting to me that it doesn't simply say the love of God, my love for God will grow cold, or it doesn't say my love for my fellow man will grow cold. It just says love, general blanket statement. Love of most will grow cold. Now, if I have a talent, if I have ability, what is the, the marker for how I'm supposed to use that ability? Huh? Love. What did Paul say? If I have all knowledge, all of that stuff, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know the passage, and I don't have love, what am I? I'm a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal, and I am nothing. I'm zero. It's got to be that which flows from loving the Lord and loving other people. And for the 112,000th time, love is a what? A verb. It's what I do. It's not necessarily how I feel. I may feel that way later, but first and foremost, it's what I do. If I have love for the Lord, it's going to express itself in action. If I have love for a spouse, it's going to express itself in action. I have love for you as a brother and sister in Christ. It's going to express itself in action, yes? The Lord demonstrated his love for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You ought, to, you ought to be able to quote that with me every time I bring it up. He demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the love that matters. And the Lord has already told us in this same address that the love of many will grow cold. That's why the gifts are not used. That's why people can be indifferent like this servant here and not care that they used the gift, not care what they didn't do with it. You see, two were faithful. This one, he didn't steal. 
He just didn't do anything. He was just indifferent. He gave back to the Lord that which was the Lord's. Ouch. Now, let's look at this last guy, because I want to show you the problems. Jesus said in verse 28, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let me acquaint you with the horns of a dilemma, okay? And why there's that unknown thing that I told you about as we got started. All three servants are identified in the beginning as slaves of the master, right? So what would that tell you about their state before the Lord? Were they saved or were they unsaved? That's a real hard problem to get around. They're all termed the slaves of the Lord. He entrusted his servants with his stuff. So they're the Lord's. So when you get down to this last guy, Throw that worthless servant outside. That's a real problem. And I will tell you that there are folks who look at this passage and they take this passage to mean and they teach other people that a saved person can lose their salvation and the rest of scripture does not teach that. So when you come to this very problematic verse, you have to do a couple of things. You either have to say, well, this means that, or some people take it to mean, well, there's a purgatory. But I'm sorry, purgatory is an invention of the Catholic Church that's not in the Scripture, and there is no such place as a waiting period between heaven and hell where you can suffer there long enough, and then you can finally get into heaven. There are people who use this verse to try to create that idea. It's not true. So what does it mean? And the answer is, it's a problem. It may be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a couple of things here. It might be. Unless I forget to say this again, I don't know. I'm just going to tell you that up front. But let me point your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians. And let me see here. Verse, uh, chapter, chapter 3. You want to make a note of this or go look it up and read it with me? It'll be fine. But it may be what Paul wrote about in this chapter to the Corinthian church. And beginning in verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a master builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, the day of the Lord. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now that is a sobering thought, and I can't tell you for certain that that's the connection between, or that, you know, that is the connection back to the ending of the parable in this one servant. But it's the only thing that I can make that's consistent with Scripture, and if that is the case, then we're seeing something here that the Lord did not choose to fully explain to us. So do we spend all of our time trying to figure that out and worry about it, or I think there's a better option. I think, number one, we can simply say, whatever this person is going to suffer and how they're going to suffer, God chose not to, to disclose that to us. We understand that the person is saved, but he has a life without reward. And you see, whenever we studied the book of Revelation and you saw the worship scenes there in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, and the Lord is before everybody to be worshipped and praised and adored, and, and the whole scene is those who have redeemed, they've suffered through, they have endured, they've completed the race, they, they've run it, they, they've won the crown, and they have something to throw at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to be without. 
I don't want to be without. And what the Lord has given to us, to coin an overused phrase, what he has given to us, it's use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Be about the business of the kingdom. And you say, well, God didn't give me that much. Well, bless Patty, he gave you something. Whatever it was, use it. Employ it for the master's purposes. You don't know what God will do with the effort that you give to his kingdom. You don't know that. And you see, here's what happens a lot of time in the church. We are so good. Our fallen, sinful human nature is so good. We look around and we say, well, God didn't give me much, therefore I don't have to do much. How come I didn't get as much as Nikki got? How come God didn't bless me as much as, as he blessed Brother Don? Poor me. I'm going to spend my life worrying and fretting about what I don't have rather than doing something with what I do have. Take what you've been given and use it. Now, look over there in 1 Corinthians. Just turn a few chapters to the right. I want to show you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me start. This is Paul's discussion of the gifts and the body of Christ functioning together as a body. And in verse 21, he begins with the eye. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. What? Who, who did the putting together? God did. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's perfect. He does what's perfect and he always does it right. And whenever I think, well, why didn't get this? You know, poor me, I'm not like somebody else. Then I may as well just be saying, well, God, you don't know what you're doing. That's a bad thing to say. Sorry. Let me get back to the, to the scripture. <laughs> But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, and that next one, of helps. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about the gift of helps, do we? You see, I wanted to be the preacher. I wanted to be the one that got to, somebody got to see on TV or, or have the big ministry or whatever. Or I, I wanted to be the real notable teacher. I wanted to be the apostle. Or what about those people that got the gifts of helps? What is that? There's not a specific task associated with helps, is there? Do you know that I have a whole lot of people around me, and you do too, who have the gift of helps? We have something that we've been called to do, something we've been entrusted by the Lord, just like these servants, and none of us can do that by ourselves. We are part of the body of Christ. And we can't do it without those people who come along in ways that we don't even think about. Ways that seem insignificant and they're just helping because God has given them the ability to do it. And don't ever think for a two and a half milliseconds that God doesn't notice what they do because he gifted them to help. Yeah, somebody else got the noticeable job. Okay, fine. But they can't do that noticeable job without those people that help. Trust me, they can't. Helps, guidance, different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Rhetorical question, because they don't. This is now eagerly desire the greatest gift. And yet I show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong 
or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I can tell you the ins and outs of Scripture from dawn till dusk. And if I have faith to remove mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. So here's the thing. The overall arching part of this parable is that work for the kingdom is essential. It is an ex expectation of the Lord Jesus Christ that what we've been entrusted with, we will work with it. That is an expectation of the Lord. Now, I've got a couple of choices. I can fret myself trying to figure out what I'm convinced he didn't tell us everything about what he said about that third servant. I don't think we know everything. It's a sobering prospect to read what is said about that third servant. Now, I can either fret myself about that or I can be busy working for the kingdom, so I'm never going to find out. And to be real honest, I don't want to find out what that meant on that third servant. Do you? I don't want to find out. I don't want to know. Because I have the option. I'm still here. I've been entrusted with everything that is good from the Lord. And I can use that for His purposes, for His kingdom, for His glory. And then that other thing is not ever going to be an issue for me. Right? Please nod your head like this. <laughs> it's not going to be an issue. But it's over there as a caution. Don't find out what that is. Okay? And I'll just tell you, this thing, this, this passage is, I've, I've struggled with it. But the overarching part of it remains. I've got to be busy for the kingdom. And if I do that, the rest of it will take care of itself. Because the Lord will see my faithfulness with whatever He gave me, whether it was a little or a lot. And He will reward. Amen? He will reward. And I want the reward. Do you? Now, you know, what's the, what's the response here? I think the response is, I, I, I don't know what it is for you. I'll just tell you kind of what my response has been. My response has been, I need to be doing more for the kingdom. I need to be working harder to make sure that I am counted as faithful. That I am understanding the word. That I am ministering with the word. That I am reaching out with the word. That I am comforting with the word. That I am evangelizing with the word. That I am instructing with the word. Because that's been entrusted to us. And the talents, the gifts that happen to have been put on my pointy little head, i got to use that correctly, rightly. A lot. True. And if I haven't, or if the Lord touches me about that, then here's the good news. Maybe I found myself being lackadaisical. Maybe I found myself being eh, indifferent. Maybe I found myself where I might say, love is cold, or it's not as hot as it used to be. Any of those are possible. And if I'm there, here's the good news. God is still the God of second chances, and He's still the God of forgiveness. Always come unto me. Come unto me. I will give you rest. I will use you. I will make you whole. He says, come to me. And he can use us. And he will. Whether it's taking a harmless little packet out to somebody or sitting down with somebody who's sick and ministering to them. All of it's in order. Stand with me, would you?